following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning. My name's Chris, and I have our gospel reading for this morning. It's from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and it can be found in your pew Bibles on pages 783 and 784. The section's titled, The Visit of the Wise Men. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed a star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is the shepherd, who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen in its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own countries by another road. Thank you, Chris. And thank you, Del. And uh, thank you to all of you who shared prayer requests. Um, You know, I, I... Sometimes in those prayer times, uh, I'm sitting there going, oh, we better wrap this up. we got like stuff to get done in the rest of the service here. And then thankfully, usually, I think, I think it's the Holy Spirit um, says to me, like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Does the Holy Spirit ever say that to you? <laughs> um, <clears throat> like, why would you want to rush through prayers? People are being so vulnerable. I'm so grateful to everybody who shares a prayer request in this room publicly, um, but particularly today there were some who shared some very personal things, and it's so difficult to do that. And I think I speak for the whole community when I tell you that we're honored that you are willing to share with us what's happening in your lives, and that you feel safe to do so in this community. Um, And uh, by way of encouragement, I firmly believe that every time that happens, there's a handful of people in the room who feel bolstered by that because they know they're not alone. And um, that's incredible uh, and is way more important than anything I have to say. Um, and just to, just, just to be together today with everybody, um, hearing the people singing and stuff, uh, it's been really moving for me. Um, <laughs> 
I feel like I haven't seen you in ages. I said that at the welcome this morning, uh, but between the weather blowing apart our Christmas Eve plans and me being out of town last week, um, just it's been it seems like it's been a long time since things felt like kind of normal. It's really weird, and it, it occurred to me as I was preparing today's sermon um, that it was exactly one year ago that we missed a whole month of being together because the Omicron uh, outbreak happened and we were, we worshiped remotely for all of January last month. Um, And it makes me so grateful that although we're certainly not out of the woods about this, that things are so much better right now. And it's a good, seems like a good reminder to get yourselves current on your vaccines and that sort of thing. Um, I'm grateful that I did that. I spent um, several hours in a room full of 20,000 people twice last week, and, and um, I feel great. <laughs> so I'm, I'm one data point, but take it for what it is. <laughs> okay, so um, I had some other things I was going to do, kind of loose ends, big picture stuff. I like to sort of do that when we recollect ourselves here, but I think I'm going to um, skip over most of that for now. Uh, but I'll just wanna do, I do want to orient you to where we are as a community as pertains to worship and um, sermon content and all that stuff. We're doing this kind of meta-series called Work of the People, and we kicked it off way back in October, but we've, we've put all of our subsequent series under this umbrella of the Work of the People because it's such an important reminder uh, for us that, that liturgy, worship, on Sunday mornings, to say nothing of our, our communal spiritual life on days that aren't Sundays, is, is the work of the people of God. Uh, and one of the specific things that that means is that we're trying to get more people involved with Sunday morning worship. And that's happening gradually. There's been some um, stumbling blocks and hiccups along the way. We, we never do anything like that perfectly, but it is getting there. And it's been exciting to see new people involved with doing various things. Um, but we're going to continue to do the work of the people until it feels like we're not supposed to do that anymore. Uh, whatever topics we have, we'll put them under this umbrella for the time being. And we'll continue to orient ourselves around this important idea that uh, our life as a Christian community is built up and grown and, and made stronger and healthier by each one of us. So there's some really fun stuff upcoming I'm not quite ready to spill the beans on just yet, <clears throat> but I'm very excited about one particular idea that is a specific way that people uh, will be part of Sunday mornings that I'll tell you about soon. Um, but I really want to tell you today to remember that you are the church. Artisan church is not a building. Artisan church is not the flock of one particular shepherd. Artisan church is a local expression of the body of Christ. It's Christ's hands and feet and heart working together for the healing of a wounded world. And each one of you in the room today and worshiping with us online and those who are not with us at all today but who might be with us next week, each one of you is part of that, a crucial part of it. And I never want you to forget that. So, what are we doing today? We are um, in this, this meta-series of the work of the people. We're continuing to use the lectionary, that collection of texts that schedules our Bible readings. Um, that's going to be the foundation uh, 
throughout this whole series for the most part. Um, except not next week. Next week we have a special guest coming in and I told him he could preach on whatever he want, wanted and he chose not to use the lectionary texts. Some of you will remember my friend Pastor Don Shever uh, from Dust Church in Toledo. He's a um, brilliant uh, teacher of the Bible and very, very engaging in a completely different way from what you're probably used to. And I can't wait to hear what he has to say next week. Uh, it's going to be on Exodus 1 through 3, I think. If, you, if you're the type of church nerd that reads ahead, that's what you want to read this week. <clears throat> but anyway, let me try to situate us really quickly to the seasonal flow that's happening here because I know not everybody lives and breathes the church calendar the way that I do. So we had the season of Advent, which is the season that leads up to and helps us anticipate Christmas. And then liturgically, Christmas is actually a season that happens for 12 days following Christmas Day. So the 12 days of Christmas are not before Christmas, they're actually after Christmas Day. And the, the season of Christmas Tide concludes on January 6th, which is 12 days after Christmas, uh, and is the, the day that the church celebrates the Epiphany of the Lord. Now that was a couple of days ago. Today is January 8th, uh, which the lectionary would say is a totally different thing. But we, we often do this where we, since we don't get together on a Friday for church, like we're, if I tried to get you to come here on Friday, you'd be like, uh, I'm going to Google churches in Rochester now. Um, <clears throat> but we do um, Epiphany on Sundays, even if it's not the, the quote unquote right date, in part because it's such an interesting idea. Um, and I don't want to miss that. But to this year, it seems like, could we have one more day of thinking about Christmas? Because we lost so much of it as a, as a church community, right? Um, okay. So I've been saying the word epiphany. You've seen it on the screen. I wonder what comes to mind for you when you hear the word epiphany. You can just shout something out. Um, or if you're in the chat on Zoom, you can type it in. Uh, um, just a word or two. What, what do you think of when you hear the word epiphany? Whoa, several people said it at once. We're going to go from front to back. Where's my dictionary? <laughs> Where's my dictionary? Fair enough. Thank you for that vulnerability. There are people in the room right now who are, yeah, yeah. A revelation. A brilliant idea. A brilliant idea. Bing! The light bulb, right? What else? Eureka. Eureka. Oh, I love that. We could call it the Eureka of the Lord. <laughs> That'd be pretty fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> What's that? Burning Christmas trees, yes, that we, <laughs> an old, an old artisan tradition. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> have you ever, if you've if you've never seen a dry Christmas tree burn in a controlled way, just know if your Christmas tree is live or was it at one time alive and it's still in your house, get it out of there now. It is not safe. Get it out. Put it on the curb. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the gospel reading today had the story of the wise men from the East who came to pay homage to the, the child Jesus. We can kind of piece together the timeline in a way that tells us it's probably not when he was a baby, right? Despite what our nativity sets might have us believe. <laughs> um, you, you all have those, or maybe your, your moms do, with the, with the little, uh, you know, sheepies and the, the baby Jesus and um, the angels and the shepherds and the the little Yoda that you put in there to see how long it takes mom to notice. And, um, and the wise men are often there too, but, but timeline is probably not that they were there right there uh, at the birth of Jesus, but actually a little bit later in his life. Um, how do we connect that gospel reading to the idea of an epiphany, of a realization, of a eureka? Well, um, 
I think the light bulb over the head is actually uh, one clue, right? Because we can think of the star in the east that the wise men followed to come to where Jesus and his family were. Uh, but Epiphany is, is also a revelation or an unveiling or, or a revealing, right? So if you can think of something that was mysterious or hidden, and then you have that light bulb moment, um, that eureka moment, that's a, it's a revelation, it's an epiphany. And what we talk about um, in the church when we're connecting the wise men to this idea is that these were kind of the first Gentiles to be given this message of welcome from the Jewish Messiah. So if you don't know um, uh, what all of those fancy concepts are, uh, the simple version is that Jesus, we believe, was the the anointed king that was long prophesied in the Hebrew scriptures. The Jewish people had this tradition. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. We believe that Messiah was Jesus. Um, and, and the epiphany is that this is not just actually for the Jewish people whose religious tradition contained this prophecy. It was for the whole world. So who were these wise men from the East? I mean, you might think of the song, We Three Kings, um, but they probably weren't kings. And why would there be three of them? There, it doesn't say three anywhere in the text. It just says that there's three different types of gifts they gave, which is probably where the three kings comes from. But what they actually were was, was priests of uh, Zoroastrianism, which, if you don't know what that is, it's sort of a pre-Islamic Persian religion, and it is, it's entirely based in astrology. The wise men from the East, were these Zoroastrian priests, were renowned astrologers. Now, I don't know if you are aware of the fact um, and that in the Hebrew Bible... <laughs> Astrology and sorcery of all kinds pretty strongly frowned upon. Not supposed to do any of that stuff, right? And uh, if you grew up in a Christian tradition similar to mine, that carried right over, fit neatly in, right? Don't even read the horoscope. How many of you like, had to avert your eyes when the newspaper came around and the horoscope was showing? <laughs> um, church tradition, really fun, uh, by the way, that... Uh, the Apostle Thomas brought the gospel to the east, and on his way to India, he encountered these wise men and, and baptized them. You know, we don't have that in the Bible, but that's what the tradition of the church teaches, which is pretty fun. What I think is the most fun thing about this story is that God used astrology <laughs> to draw these wise men from the east westward to find the child Jesus to be the first Gentiles to be welcomed into this new um, spiritual monarchy under the King Jesus. And that's the reason we get this story on Epiphany. But I think we lose, it's pretty easy to lose sight of that one little detail because the star is just so beautiful, and you think, oh, it's right over there, over the nativity. We had the kids over here with the star a few weeks ago. The uh, epistle reading today, which we didn't get to put into the liturgy, is from the book of Ephesians, and one of the things that the Apostle Paul says in that, Ephesians 3.6, 
the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, in other words, co-inheritors, members of the same body and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the beautiful broadening, widening, opening that we celebrate on Epiphany. Not just the fact that the gospel is revealed to the Gentiles, but backing up the fact that it's offered to them at all. It seems very like, obvious to all of us, because most of us are Gentiles, right? Very convenient too, by the way. Um, but it's such an important thing that we can't lose sight of. And yes, it appears in the, uh, the epistle, the, the, the Christian scripture reading, but it's also found in some of the Hebrew Bible readings uh, that, that we, some of them we got to today. So we read Isaiah 60 at the call to worship. It says, nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. We didn't read the psalm that's assigned for today, but it's Psalm 72. And one of the things it says is, may all kings fall down before him, all nations give him service. And that word nations is a hint. It's a clue. It's very important. When you read the word nations in the Old Testament, um, that doesn't just mean like uh, geographical states, right? So the word nations means foreign nations. It means foreigners. Nations, tribes, families, all of these words in English come from the same Hebrew word, which is goyim. And you may know that that is a word for Gentiles. It's for outsiders. And so to have the Hebrew Bible, what we commonly call the Old Testament, speaking to the nations receiving God's light and glory, uh, in the context of a religious expression that we sometimes assume to be very exclusive, is quite significant. But it goes back even farther than that, because the original call to Abraham, the father of the Israelites, if you know your Bible, specifically said that I'm going to make your family great, not for the sake of it, not because you're the best, but so that through your family, which is the same thing for tribe or nation, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So right from the very beginning of this story with God's people, the purpose was baked in that this should always be something that is for all people. And the specific selection of a, of a smaller group of people is not because they're better or the only ones who get it. It's because that's the way it gets out. And what did we Christians do when we modified Judaism into our religion a couple thousand years ago? Well, we immediately set up our own boundaries, our own restrictions, our, only, our, our, our own uh, walls around us so that we know we're in and they're out. Great job, everybody. No notes. That is just the way humanity works. So here's my charge to you on this day, not exactly the day of Epiphany, but when we celebrate the, the Epiphany of the Lord, it's a three-part charge, which I'll give you very quickly. Follow the light, shine the light, and don't block the light. Right. So if you're a person who already feels like you're on the outside, like you don't belong like you're far from God, that you're doing everything wrong in the eyes of the people who seem to know, the people who seem to be in charge, the people who control the narrative. If that's you, if you think of yourself as an outsider, in part for very good reason that you've been told you're an outsider, 
my encouragement to you is to, to look to the sky and to follow the light. Because if you can find something that, that is the light of Christ kind of pulling you forward, you can never go wrong following it. And I want you not to fret if, if the light of Christ that's beckoning you is not fitting the narrative of the people who seem to be in charge of the light of Christ. Does that make any sense? It makes a lot more sense to some people than to others because some of us have never really been on the outside. And so we don't know. But don't ever be afraid to follow anything that is pointing you and leading you and beckoning you closer to Jesus. So follow the light. Number one. And number two is shine the light. Now, when I was a young Christian, uh, like many of you, I was preoccupied with evangelism, with getting other people saved. Did any of you grow up in a church tradition where this was the most important thing in the world? Yes. Right? Um, and, and leading others to Christ had a very specific meaning in my mind. And it was the only thing that I ever thought about when it came to, quote-unquote, evangelism. Maybe this is true for you, too. And I think that's the reason why I was so, quote-unquote, bad at evangelism. Because <laughs> I didn't want to do any of those things that it looked like to me, that, that I had seen demonstrated as sharing the light of Christ. And what if in, instead we thought of shining the light simply as doing our best to illuminate Jesus in the limited understanding that we have? to shine a little light specifically into the dark places of the world around us. What does Jesus have to offer those who are walking in darkness? And, and by the way, my, my understanding of what that even means has expanded greatly. Because there's plenty of people who came forward and prayed that prayer who are still walking in darkness. And there's plenty of people who haven't prayed that prayer who are closer to the light than we ever would have given them credit for. And I think the problem with my view of evangelism, and maybe, maybe even just this one observation will loose these bonds on you and your soul as well. My problem with, or the problem with my view of evangelism was that it was obsessed with that last second decision for Christ. Right? Even the language of that is so weird to me now but is obsessed with that moment of somebody who was not a Christian five seconds ago, now is a Christian. That's evangelism. So, like, being obsessed, to put it in the context of this Christmassy epiphany story, being obsessed with the moment when those pagan astrologers bowed down their knees to the child Jesus and worshipped him, paid him homage. But what about all of the things that came before that? What about how long it took them to traverse that path? Who was there to say, hey, what is that star? Who is helping them to find the way? All of those things count as shining the light as well. Does that make sense? It's a little bit of an abstract metaphor. And then the last thing, which sometimes I think is the most important one for those of us who are real churchy, is don't block the light. So following the light is one thing. Shining the light is one thing. Sometimes, before you do any of that, you've got to get yourself out of the way of the light. 
This is the other problem with my older way of thinking. Like, <laughs> if you told 16-year-old on fire for Jesus Scott that some, <laughs> some people were reading their horoscopes and finding their way to Jesus, I would have said, like, no, 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 no. That is not how we do this. Astrology is not the way. Let me point you instead to the truth. Right? Just work with me here. I know it's a little bit of a stretch. Imagine if someone had that posture when it came to these Zoroastrian priests, way outside the, the, the appropriate practice for the worship of the one true God. If someone had said to them, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Not the stars. No, no. Let's go to the temple. I'll show you how to fatten a calf. Right? <laughs> that's, that's in the way of the light that was beckoning them to Jesus. And I wonder how much of our religious practice of trying to police the boundaries has resulted not in more holiness, which on its, like putting the best face on it is maybe what it's supposed to be about, but actually instead in preventing people God loves from seeing the star in their sky, whatever that might be for them. We want to control the narrative so badly Again, it's a human tendency. But Paul said in Ephesians 3, through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known. Through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety may now be made known. And I think sometimes we are not actually all that interested in rich variety. We would like a homogeneous version of Christianity that's very comfortable for us and looks the same way as it always has looked. But through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known. So I hope that we can learn to love and rejoice in that richness of variety of the wisdom of God, even when and maybe especially when we don't actually understand it. I want to leave you with these beautiful words from Diana Butler Bass, who is a brilliant scholar of scripture and teacher of scripture. You can find her on Twitter or on Substack, or you can actually read those old-fashioned things called books that she wrote. Um, Diana Butler Bass wrote this about Epiphany. Epiphany is a manifestation, the mystery revealed, and an invitation to discover grace, goodness, and God. It is neither a magic fix nor a moment when utopia arrives. But the birth, the star, and heavenly glory don't eliminate the darkness. Rather, such revelations cast the light that we need to see the way. Epiphany beckons us to pay attention and participate in, the, in widening the circle of light in the world. To push back against all brittle injustice and brutality. Whether a babe in Bethlehem or a burning bush... Epiphanies are guide stars on a longer journey toward healing, liberation, and peace. I want to pray an old prayer from an old prayer book. Join me in a spirit of prayer. We beseech you, O Lord, let our hearts be graciously enlightened by your holy radiance that we may serve you without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life, that so we may survive the storms of this world and with you for our pilot attain the haven of eternal brightness through your mercy, O blessed Lord, who lives and governs all things 
world without end. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.